Welcome to the American Institute of Stress's official podcast, Finding Contentment. The goal of this podcast is to highlight new information about stress and stress management techniques. While we understand that stress is a very personalized issue and different for everyone, we hope to help you find your own way to contentment. Well, welcome back, everyone. This is Finding Contentment, the official podcast for the American Institute of Stress. I'm Will Heckman. I'm your host and executive director for the American Institute of Stress. Thanks again for joining us if you have joined us in the past. And if this is your first time, welcome. And uh, this podcast uh, focuses on issues of stress and stress-related issues. Uh, Please remember to follow us at stress.org. And if you want, you can send in some reviews and comments to me. I'm always glad to hear from you guys. Um, And some of you have known that we feature some courses at stress.org. And I want to tell you about the courses that we have in collaboration with the Maryland University of Integrative Health. Uh, We are offering four MUIH professional continuing education courses, and they are certified by the American Institute of Stress as well. As that, you get free access to the MUIH Integrative Health Scholar Library, which is just awesome. You got to look up those courses. Just go to, like I said, stress.org and hit that course tab. And included with some of these courses, we're offering free membership to AIS. So that's a real bonus. Go to stress.org, click on the course button, and learn more about it. Today, we're going to be talking about something that's been on my mind for a long time, uh, well, as of lately, and we've talked about it before, and that's the stress on our healthcare workers. 2020 was a year like no other year. We're not that far into 2021 that we can uh, just forget about it. It's still part of our lives. It's probably one of the strangest years in our lifetime. The emergence of the coronavirus resulted in a global pandemic, which in turn led to many challenges, not the least of which is economic devastation. A lot of people lost their employment and business. But we forget that people had to cancel or or miss milestones in their lives, their celebrations. Some people didn't get married. High school graduations, all of that had to be put on hold. Interruption in learning happened at all levels of education. And don't forget people that had mental health issues or disorders before this pandemic. This was exacerbated by this pandemic. So those people are suffering uh, even more now. And, And also there's a new onset of anxiety and loneliness for people of all ages. And very important is our healthcare workers. Uh, They're under a lot, a lot of stress helping you and I, and a lot of them are suffering. A lot of them are suffering from anxiety and burnout and PTSD, but it also gave us a moment to shine a spotlight on the daily sacrifices and the courage of our frontline workers and first responders of all types. And I was reading a definition in WebMD, and it read, burnout is a state of physical emotional and a mental exhaustion that may be accompanied by a change in attitude from positive and caring to negative and unconcerned. Think about how that affects our healthcare workers and how that in turn affects all of us. According to the American Nurse Nurses Association 
health risk appraisal? An overwhelming majority of nurses surveyed, 82%, that's overwhelming, consider workplace stress to be the biggest issue affecting our health. Plus, more than half of nurses regularly work 12-hour shifts. Normally, you know, these factors can contribute to burnout. Uh, findings from the National Academy of Medicine said that there was evidence, and this is in NAM's words, that healthy clinicians provide better care. Well, that's not really rocket science. I would think that's true about everybody, you guys and myself. But many clinicians and healthcare workers are exhausted. They're overwhelmed. Nurses, physicians, dentists, pharmacists, and others, you know, experiencing disturbing rates of burnout. And they're creating an unsustainable burden on the healthcare organizations and endangering care delivery. Some of the facts are a little scary. They're alarming. One of them was that 43% of inpatient nurses have a very high degree of emotional exhaustion. That person's about to stick a needle in you. I want them, I want them awake. I want them feeling good. I don't know about you guys. I'm not a fan of needles. Uh, burnout is nearly twice as prevalent in, among U.S. physicians as among workers in other fields. And I have to tell you, with the American Institute of Stress, if you look at stress.org, you'll see that oh, almost always the top three stressors, workplace stress is right up there. And what about medical trainees? They experience a much higher rate of depression and burnout than individuals of similar ages, people starting out in the different careers. So I was thinking about, and I thought a conversation about this issue was needed. And I contacted someone that is very qualified to speak about it. He is involved in a project titled Contemporary um, Integrative Therapies. I want to get this right, Steve. Complementary and Integrative Therapies for the Management of Stress, Anxiety, Fatigue, and Burnout in Nurses and Healthcare Workers. It's a mouthful. So today we're joined by uh, Stephen Lopez. Steve is a wellness practitioner and a Reiki master teacher and practitioner. He's also a certified clinical hypnotherapist by the American Council of Hypnotist Examiners. And Steve is a member of the Guided Imaging Project, and that's sponsored by the Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. He also is a volunteer. He provides guided imagery at Reiki to patients and Banner-Strella Medical Center in West Phoenix, Arizona. And he offers his skills in uh, pulmonary rehab, dialysis, pre-op, post-op, emergency service, cancer treatment, and most importantly, to the hospital staff. So he is very aware of the stress issues that are happening right now. By the way, he's also the owner and operator at Awakening Healings. And I, I strongly suggest that oh, you all go there and find out some more information about what they do. All you have to do is go to awakeninghealing.com. All right, so please join me in welcoming Steve Lopez. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, I appreciate this opportunity. Well, we're, we're glad to have you here. First, you know, tell us a little bit how you got started in, in becoming a wellness practitioner. Well, this goes way back. <laughs> I, as far as I go, my mom was a nurse. And like uh, we joke around, we grew up with a needle in her behind. <laughs> and we turned around. So wellness and health was very important to us. And 
I in college I uh, got involved um, with a lot of things. I became a first aid instructor and doing a lot of other things. I was national ski patrol. I uh, learned uh, as a paramedic on the slopes, <laughs> per se, and had fun while I was doing everything I was doing. Um, in college, also got involved with rodeo in other sports. And uh, when I graduated, I graduated with fine arts degree, commercial art and advertising. As I grew on, my family and everything, we were doing great. I learned about uh, Maxwell Maltz in psychocybernetics and a lot of those other self-help programs to help me move along. Later in life, um, I began to get all these reminders of my youth when I was indestructible. This little bump or bruise I had long ago was now turning into a major issue. And my doctor put me on some pain meds, sent me to these other things. I didn't like the effects of them and that. And he said, that has to be another way. I started doing the self-hypnosis. Uh, the guy in New York, uh, Doug O'Brien, I was buying some program from him. He asked me to come to New York and study to be a hypnotherapist. It was a good position. I could do this and do what I was doing for myself and for others. Because I had learned, well, Reiki, I didn't know what it was. I knew that one day I was sitting in church and my hand was just incredibly in pain. I couldn't focus on what was going on. I put my other hand on top of that pain, it went away. And I was praying like crazy. So I thought it was faith healing. I studied Francis McNutt and did that. Yeah, it's fine. There's a lot of faith healers. It works. And then I found Reiki and with the hypnosis and uh, Joe Dispenza and some of the other people who are in the mind healing. And I said, this stuff works. I have to find out more. And that's what I started doing, just educating myself. You know, it's not uncommon that people have uh, a personal experience and that drives them to the field itself of finding a way. that it, it, What works for them, they say, well, they, they become passionate for it. Uh, yeah, I, I understand. Uh, I'm an ex-athlete and... I'm paying a price for it now, too. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, you, I won't take a painkiller for anything. You know, I, I've learned the uh, secrets of ice. Uh, anyway, one of the things I, first things I wanted to talk to you a little bit about was the study that you're, you're conducting. Tell us a little bit about that, what you're studying, how you, how you got interested in that. Well, the study, um, I have finished it up. I sent you a copy of that. Right. And it's, I'm hoping to go back with the director of the hospital and start something else more seriously focused. But I was, as I said, a volunteer there at the hospital and the program that was started was guided imagery was started from our school, Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. And it was with the patients to study the effects of guided imagery on the patients in the hospital. That started back in uh, 2015. And the results of that showed that there was a great results. They would reduce the stress, the pain, and the nausea in the patients. And then interviewing the patients afterward, 
they were said, oh, this has got to be something you offer to everybody else. If it's working, people, yeah, I think we're past the point where people have not made a connection that your mind has a lot of control over your body. You know, 50 years ago, we would have said, ah, you know, that's not going to work. Ah, just sitting there doing this or doing that, that's not going to work. I need a drug. I think we're past that. And I'm happy to say that. I think a lot of people like you and I who have had injuries and have experienced what it feels like to keep taking these painkillers. Um, at one point, I had a drawer full of bottles filled with them because I kept getting prescribed them and I would take one and they're not, they're, they just don't feel right, you know. So I, I think doing guided imagery and things like what you did can be very, very successful. And obviously, since you, you've had such great success with it. Yeah, it's going back, uh, if you look at the Chinese traditional medicine, it's 5,000 years old, and it works today. <laughs> and it's the Western medicine, the Western medical culture that has not accepted these. Uh, the programs from India and other parts of the world, I've studied some of the healing that's done in Mexico from the curanderos, and they use the, the same thing they do. If you listen to some of the chants, then the words that they use, it's guided imagery or hypnotherapy. They put people in a trance. Right. It's either with drumming or singing or humming, and that uh, reduces the stress levels. It puts the body into a relaxed mode. So your delta waves start generating, and that's what calms, and that's what helps heal. Yeah, there's a lot of science that backs this. I mean, it, it's not just, like you said, it's been around for 5,000 years. Just Western medicine is slowly, ever so slowly, catching up. <laughs> uh, Speaking of which, you talked about programs in different places. I wanted to ask you how you got started in Reiki. First of all, please explain to, to me and the listeners what Reiki is and how you use it and to reduce stress. Because we know stress and pain are so directly related. So how did you get started in that? And what does that entail? Reiki is an energy healing modality. And I learned the history of it by a doctor who was founded in the early 1900s in Japan. And it was brought to the Western world by Hawaii Takata. She was a Japanese descent living in Hawaii with ailments. She would heard about Dr. Usui, studied, went to Japan to study it and brought it to the Hawaii, but it was set to World War II. Everything was kind of down because you couldn't trust the Japanese. Mm. So she finally did uh, bring it to the Western world and in the early 70s, I believe. And it's a healing modality. It works on touch. And it's the energy. It's the universal energy. Um, Reiki translates as the universal life energy. That's the way Hawaii Otokata explained it. And everybody does that whether they know it or not, if you bump yourself or something, what the first thing you do is put your hand on it and go, ow. And uh, the kid has a bump or a scratch or something and the mom kisses it and it starts the energy flowing. It's the touch and the energy that starts to go through 
and enter the body. Um, I discovered it, it was an accident. Like I started the pain in my thumb. Um, I had injured it previously and I'd had cortisone injections. I'd had the, uh, those are fun. Uh, other medications. Yeah. <laughs> and they were not working. That one day I said, I'm sitting in church and I put my hand over there and it got real hot and I wasn't really paying that much attention, but I didn't notice the heat and then the pain went away. I got home and I was fine and I got, had both knees operated on. I got every now and then the osteoarthritis, as they named it, starts bugging my knees. And I put my hands on my knees. It got hot and pain went away. I said, so that I thought, well, faith healing, because I was praying originally. I studied Francis McNutt and these, and those things that he does and the other faith healers, they work. They've done studies where a person is in the hospital and they get one or two people to pray for them and they measure the electrical field and it's measurable. And if they put 20 or 30 people outside the room praying for the individual and the electrical field is even stronger. And even from distance with people praying for an individual, they can measure some energy changing in the individual. So prayer works, and it's the energy that's transmitted to the individual. You know, even if you don't believe in prayer and you have never tried it or, or even chanting a mantra or whatever, you got to pay attention to the fact that Steve just said the studies have shown. There's many studies and a lot of science to back that this actually works, isn't there? Yes. And you have to realize, too, that the body is of functions on electrical impulses. It is energy, pure energy. The heart is controlled by the brain, and you have your different organs, like the, the uh, thalamus that controls your fight flight and your other amygdala and those things that generate the different uh, drugs that can be given to you by a pharmacist or doctor. Your brain generates the same oxycodone and the other relaxing and healing drugs that your body heals with. You just have to realize that. You really don't need those outside things. But it's the self, I guess it's learning how to do this. And it's very simple. I think everybody can uh, learn to heal themselves. And you left out one of the most important things, no side effects. No, <laughs> there's no there's no warning label on doing this stuff that says don't operate heavy machinery. <laughs> You're going to be fine. <laughs> there's a movement now that's uh, there. There are two organizations who are trying to regulate Reiki. They want to start a uh, program where all the uh, energy heaters are licensed. They have to take certain courses. They have to learn this. They have to learn that. And the only reason that I can see is that they would be the controlling organizations. They would charge the individuals and they've got generation of income for themselves, right. not taking into consideration the number of people and practitioners who would not be able to practice. And then the thousands 
hundreds of thousands of people who would not be able to receive those uh, benefits. Well, you know, I've always said, and I've said it before on this show, and I say to people all the time, if you really want to find the answer to a lot of problems, you just follow that bouncing dollar sign. And when it stops bouncing, there's your problem. So I wanted to talk to you. You mentioned before that you work with a lot of people who suffer from anxiety and depression and burnout, fatigue, stress. First thing I wanted to know is what are they talking about? What What is the most stressful thing that people are talk, coming to you and talking to you about? It's many things. It's just daily life. Um, they have problems at home. They have problems at the job. They have, um, and a lot of it, it, things that have happened in the past. If the uh, study, uh, there's the proven that an event, a traumatic event, it happened in childhood or years ago that can carry on into later life and cause emotional stress and cause even physical stress and pain. They found uh, an example that's been used is uh, someone who fell down and broke their arm. They're put in a cast, they're healed after six, eight weeks. And two years later, they still have pain, but there's no reason for it. No physical reason. No physical reason. Mm. The doctors give them, oh, something to mask those symptoms, which leads to other maskings. But if you can sit with the person, I've done it with the several, go back into what happened. When did this start? What was going on? What did you see? What did you hear? All those sensations around there. One of those things that happened today triggered it. And that pain is comes back hmm. because it's from that traumatic event. Sure. If you could take that traumatic event and bring it down from using the suds, uh, subjective units of distress from a zero to a 10, say the 10, if you can bring it down to one or zero, they don't need that pain medication and that phantom pain is gone. But you know, it's interesting that you said that because um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is if you have found that there was a connection between stress and people's physical health and their pain and their mental health. You know, the people that you see that are more stressed at work and more stressed at home or wherever. Um, do you find that there's a correlation there? Yes. Uh, one of the things that the study I did at the hospital, this project, is that the nurses, when they left the hospital, they were at a 10 they get home, they're at a 10, they're stressed, they're tight, they're wound up like ready to explode. And their husband or significant other, a child or someone says something and they snap, they just blow up. They have to relieve that stress. So if they have a method to bring that down before they go home, or if they can control it in the workplace to keep it down, when they go home, it's not there. It changes the whole environment. It brings peace and calm to the family. And if the individual knows how to do it themselves, either with Reiki, guided imagery, meditation, they can show their family members, teach their family members a few simple things. You can find a lot of stuff on the internet. There's a lot of crazy stuff too, but <laughs> <laughs> follow some of those with some, uh, and it can really make a big difference. I agree with that. 
the problem that I, that people are telling me about that, especially healthcare workers and people who are working 12 hours a week, they are just yeah. swamped. I mean, they're, they're just moving 100 miles an hour constantly. I have friends who are nurses. I have friends who are in hospitals right now. How do they find the time? What What is it that they can do throughout their day to bring that level of stress down that, you know, they're swimming in a sea of cortisol and they need to bring that down as it's happening. Otherwise it becomes a chronic problem and then it becomes a diagnosable problem. So is there something they can do during the day to help relieve this a little bit? It's one of the things that helps tremendously is just the breathing exercises. Hmm. It's just deep breathing and focusing. Just think you're going to empty your mind. Just, Breathe as you breathe in, you're breathing in nice positive energy and you exhale and release all that negative energy, all that tension and stress. They but do it that. doesn't take long. No, five minutes, yeah. 10 minutes. And the other problem was when I was working with the nurses there, they only have a 15 minute break. They worked at 12 hours. They come in at seven in the morning. Sometimes they get there at 6.30 so that they can get into their department and find out what's going on, check with the patients, and they transfer the responsibilities. A 15-minute break is nothing, and that is what makes it even more stressful. They go to lunch. They don't go to lunch. They sit there at their workstation, and, and they're not eating. They're gobbling it down. They're woofing down the food because... They don't have the time. They're on call. Concept, they'll be eating. Oops, they get buzzed. They have to run to the patient. They don't finish their food. They come now, back called. It's so funny you say that because I also work in education. My wife is a teacher. It's the same situation. I sat at my desk and ate. I was one of the educators who actually had an office. And the office door was open. And you just, I don't recall ever having a lunch where people didn't come and and, and and have something for me to fix or, you know, something for, to talk about. Um, there are days my wife has told me, and she works 10-hour days every day and then comes home and works four hours, that teachers have to get relieved for lunch because somebody has to watch the kids, just like a nurse. Somebody has to watch that patient when that nurse goes to lunch. And if that somebody isn't there, oh, well. So your stress levels have to go up. And you made a good point. Even when you're eating, you gobble your food. The way you, your digestive system is, it's got to be put on, it's being stressed out as well. So that has to affect your body also. It does, because it also leads to weight gain. If you eat slowly and let the food go down the process, your body will tell you when it's full and time to stop eating. Yeah. If you take a hamburger and eat it slowly, you'll find out before you're through with a hamburger that you're feeling it. You get that full feeling. If you eat it in three giant bites and uh, handfuls of French fries and those things, which not that good for you, but even at that, it goes in there and you don't satisfy those hunger feelings. So they're still there and you nibble more and nibble more and add more. And it just continually building uh, I've talked to several of the health caregivers and they said, when I started this job, 
I was slim and trim. Right. <laughs> you would think a person who's on their feet 12 hours a day of burning a lot of calories, but... You would think so. That and stress the, makes you gain weight. The cortisol in the body is another chemical that is another stress causer, and it maintains, builds onto your weight. Right. Uh, Especially around the midsection. Yes. And it's funny because... I actually, you know, I've had teachers come to me for, I was an unofficial counselor for some teachers, especially new teachers, and people even now ask me about it. And I said, well, stop eating like a dog. You, you know how you put food in front of a dog and three <laughs> bites later, it's gone. Uh, that, because the dog knows it's time to eat and it's got to get it done and, and, and like protect it from other dogs. Stop taking human bites. <laughs> <laughs> which my mother yelled at me many times <laughs> and, and slow it down. And like you said, give your body a chance to know it's full and all of that can lower your stress too. A, a tip that was given to me because uh, when I was a police officer, again, you have to eat quickly because you don't know what's going to happen. So a tip that was given to me by a uh, physician said, well, read a book while you eat. That slowed me down like 50%. That was awesome. That was a great tip. And so uh, still to this day, sometimes I do that, and that helps. I, I want to ask you about something else because this is of personal interest to me. Okay, so one of my hobbies is wood turning. I make pens and I make other things. And I just started making aromatherapy necklaces so people can wear them around their neck and whatever – essential oil they want, they, they can wear around their neck. And it has, because it has a very good calming effect. And I read on your website that you talk about aromatherapy. And uh, can aromatherapy treatments assist with lowering stress or is it just pleasant to do? Well, aromatherapy has been found to reduce stress. It's uh, natural. There's many studies. There's many different modalities of aromatherapy, the essential oils, you put them in a diffuser and the aroma goes through. There's also the uh, Bach theories. Uh, Dr. Bach came up with this years, treated his patients, and those were the essence of flowers, the flower petals. They created the liquids. You put a few drops of uh, Bach solution on your tongue or the aroma, and it does work. I've tried it. That was one of the things that we studied when I was in the uh, on a hypotherapy, on my learning to be a clinical hypotherapist, we studied many things, many things that affect. Aromatherapy is effective. And it's just, it's amazing the things that are available. You know, I, I kind of thought that it harkened back to, well, it's just your, your sense of smell is a, it, there's a very physical connection with that. It's, and it, that physical connection. Is a mental connection. If you can go back to a sense of smell, a day at the beach or something like that, it has a very calming effect. That's so it's standard to reason. Yeah, and the flowers. Uh, you go in the in the forest, and the pine, mm -hmm. the smell of pine is relaxing, calming. Right. Uh, you go in the other areas, the eucalyptus, the lavender flowers, uh, all those aroma, they calm the body. Yeah, and if you think about it. Your sense of smell is one of the strongest things. Now, when you smell a barbecue from the neighbor coming over, it just automatically triggers. <laughs> I'm Pavlovian's dog. <laughs> uh, that's one of the things. The 
if you've ever noticed that the like Burger King and those others, when they're cooking, they have that smoke coming out of the top of the building and you can smell the meat and it stimulates the hunger and the salivating. <laughs> okay, so the last thing I'll say about aromatherapy is one of the main reasons I got interested in it was this. Just as a personal note, I am a biker and I ride motorcycles all over Florida, back roads, sometimes with, with a club and sometimes we don't see another car for literally a half hour. And one of the places we ride are through all the orange groves. Florida is obviously famous for oranges. Well, at certain times of the years, all the orange groves are blooming. And if you've ever smelled that, on a motorcycle, you smell everything. You're not inside a car. There's no air conditioning. It's right in your face. It is so intoxicating. I have never experienced anything. I was worried that I was just going to zen out and ride right off the road because it was so relaxing. It was. It, it has such a physical impact on me through my sense of smell. And so I, I, I have to say, if, if you guys are listening, go on to um, Stephen's site and look at what, he's talking about with aromatherapy, it can be a real easy way to reduce stress. Well, that's one of the uh, modalities they use in the hospital. The nurses in the uh, director's office on the floors that I worked with, they have a diffuser going mm. constantly. So the nurses come in there and they get a, a little shot of aromatherapy. They also place those in the patient's rooms to help reduce if they request it you can't argue with success you know i mean if it's working <laughs> it's working you know i wanted to ask you something else because you've been involved you volunteer at hospitals you see patients you see practitioners you talk to a lot of people what are, what are you, are you finding is the biggest obstacle for people right now trying to get access to help or support I have, you know we get contacted a lot uh, the American Institute of Stress. There are days where, or, or months, where literally there's 300,000 people looking for help. And what do you find is the biggest thing stopping people from accessing support? The, the biggest thing is education, learning about the modalities that are out there that can help you. And the other thing that stops people is when they go to a practitioner, it's an out-of-pocket expense. Mm. Insurance doesn't pay for it. And then there's still a lot of physicians who don't accept these. They're complimentary or they're, they said they're, they're experimental. They're theories. We don't know if they really work. And it's getting the people to say, okay, I will try it. I've done uh, hypnotherapy with people. Said, it doesn't work. It's a hoo-ha. You know? right. I see. What are you going to do? Turn me into a barking dog? <laughs> it's, it's not a show. <laughs> but it's, it's getting them to try it, to accept it. And again, the pharmaceutical companies are battling this. They keep battling it. The physicians, uh, I talked to my PC, and she says, when I was going through medical school, there was only two ways to help an individual. You would feed them pills to uh, mask the symptoms. And if that didn't do it, you cut it off 
and the pain is gone. <laughs> you know, uh, the president of, of AIS, Dr. Kirsch, once said to me, you know, it's in their name. It's medicine. <laughs> so that's what they know to do. They give you medicine. That's it. And I said, you know, I, I really never thought of it that way, but that, you're right. That's so true. Uh, I, I want to ask you about something. And because I don't know a lot about it, but I have talked about it, not knowing that that's what I was talking about. And that's guided imagery. You're involved with guided imagery. You've mentioned it uh, on the show. And, and what, talk to us about that. Explain what goes on with that and, and how that's helpful. Well, guided imagery, meditations, is all a different word for hypnosis. Hmm. And guided imagery is a, I'm a storyteller sit with an individual, and if they're open to it, because if somebody doesn't want to accept it, they don't want to um, participate, then you can't do it. You can't hypnotize someone who's not willing to cooperate. But it's uh, just getting them into a relaxed state. And you can do that by just talking to them, asking them what their favorite thing is, what their favorite toy, the, what they like to do, the sports, fishing, like you would be biking. And with you, if you had something, I would start talking to you. Well, you know, you're biking and tell me a little about your motorcycle. And as you're talking about your motorcycle, go ahead and uh, just allow your eyes to relax themselves. And you can relax some clothes if you like. And vision, can you see this? And you see this happening. And, and as this is going on, you go on working into, and that pain that you got from a past accident, it's just going to go away. You know? but, and you work in with the different metaphors. It's storytelling. And the individual, in their mind, you can take their uh, suds level from a 10 to a zero hmm. shortly. Sometimes it may take two or three various sessions for different things that are but in the hospital i put someone to sleep they couldn't sleep they take the medication and they give me five minutes i'll let them sleep and one of the things i did in dialysis was great and it was mostly an experiment for me and for the director of dialysis the people in dialysis and when they start the process it removes the electrolytes from the blood and they start cramping. They get these terrible cramps. They're painful. Yeah, they are. They try to sedate them as much as they can. And a lot of times it doesn't work. And I was in there when one was going into his ab reaction, just screaming in pain. I got him to calm down and put him into a trance. And I, uh, with some suggestions, that he would remain in that trance, pain free, completely relaxed for the remaining time of his treatment. And if the physician or the attending nurse needed his attention, he would wake up, answer the questions 100%, fully conscious, fully awake, pain-free. And then when they said, okay, we'll be back, he would immediately regress into that trance, relaxed state until he went back to his room. And when he went to his room, he would fall asleep for hours and wake up completely relaxed, pain-free and feeling excellent. And it worked. We did it with many patients. If there's no other uh, way to measure success, that's certainly, that's it. 
It's, I mean, that's it. You're not drugged out of your mind and you're able to control your pain. Uh, and you're a certified hypnotherapist. So helping these people must be, it's got to be so rewarding. It's you know, more rewarding than what I was doing previously. <laughs> yeah, the financial gain I had previously, I had construction, I had a, another business, was okay. But you don't get that feeling that you've done something and it's hard to explain, but it's that uh, emotion, the, the adrenaline, everything, when you help someone like that. It's more maybe, It may be hard to explain, but I think all of us listen, we understand. You know, we understand how you feel. Uh, have, you, have you used hypnotherapy specifically for stress itself? Yes, uh, I've done it with stress. And it depends, again, it's finding out the cause of the stress. Yeah. And doing hypnotherapy, you say, okay, you're all stressed out, and that, and you get them to relax and down, and you go back, when did this start? You find the cause, and it's physical or it's emotional, and you work on that to reduce that and eliminate the effect, the strength uh, that it has on the individual. Hmm. Bring the stress down, depression can go away, any pain, all the discomforts. It's amazing. You know, I'm surprised that, because that, I know you work, um, I believe, as a volunteer with the Guided Imagery Project at the Banna Estrella Medical Center. Yes. In West Phoenix. I, I'm surprised this isn't used more often at the VA. Well, uh, when the project started, it was at the Banner, then the other Banner hospitals jumped in in the area hmm. and but we couldn't find enough volunteers to facilitate the project in all the hospitals. So I tried training some of the staff and without any extended training, it, it's frustrating. <laughs> successful. I, I could see this help, helping a great deal with PTSD and other things. You know, uh, the American Institute of Stress, uh, one of our magazines is combat stress which is for um, combat veterans and veterans and first responders who are going through a lot of issues. And they talk a lot about things that are similar to guided imagery and uh, certainly how to relax using natural means because you know, not, people don't want to take the drugs. I think that's a last resort. It should be a last resort. Yeah. And uh, I, when I talk to clients, if they're on medications, I say, okay, I will help you, but you also have to talk with your primary caregiver, uh, your primary care physician, and explain to them what you're doing, and they can regulate the medication as they see fit. I don't suggest you stop it right now, but it's between you and your physician. I am just here to help you relieve that dependency or that need. Well, I think that's really good advice. Guys, if you're listening, we're not saying, hey, throw, throw the drugs away. <laughs> you know, don't do that. That's not a good way. First of all, it, it can be physically and, uh, bad for your health, but you, you, you should always consult your physician and you, you sort of have to wean yourself off. Now, Steve, on your site, you offer a, in your, your, saying I'm a kind of free consultation. So tell us how people can take advantage of that. That's a great opportunity. Well, what it started out with is uh, I was talking to people and said, well, I can't afford it. 
I said, well, I won't charge you. And I thought, well, if they don't pay something, they really don't feel that they got something of value. So I printed up some business cards that glued a penny on it. I said, a penny for your thoughts mm-hmm. and bring this in. And I will sit, we can have a conversation to help. It doesn't cost you anything because here, you're paying me a penny now. So there's something of value that they're giving up. And again, that's going back into the belief systems. If you pay for something, then you're getting something of value. It doesn't matter if it's a dollar or a thousand dollars. It's all perceived value. And it started that way. It has helped uh, get people in talking about their needs and talking about what they need and want. And now um, with the virtual connections, I'm starting to do more uh, consulting and I'm offering now uh, with life coaching, giving two to three life coaching sessions to help them find out where they are, where they want to go and help them create their pathway and their plan to achieve it. And anything else, um, with their aches, pains, and that, we'll do a couple of sessions, uh, guided imagery, hypnotherapy, and let them try it and see the results. I've noticed uh, with tapping, it works for some, it doesn't work for others. And some people I've done the, the tapping and emotional freedom technique that start tapping, I don't see how this is gonna help me. That's ridiculous. Tapping on my face, tapping here. I said, that's not going to work. I said, well, just kind of close your eyes and let's follow along to your affirmation and I start tapping. And after a couple of rounds, their suds was an eight or seven. It's down to three or four. I said, let's tap a few more times. Hmm. And you get it down to one or zero and they're sitting there and gets just totally amazed. You're right. That's amazing. <laughs> how, do they, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find information uh they can go on the website uh they can call me i have another line that i set up that they can call leave a message and i will get back to them and then we could schedule a time uh you can do it with skype you can do it zoom okay and that site is awakeninghealing.com so write that down awaken healing awakening yeah awakening is my company right i couldn't that was where one of my faults i was building my website and got it going but i didn't reserve the name i was like a couple ah. months late somebody else beat me to it <laughs> so, okay so the correct website is awaken healing a w a k okay a w a k e n yeah awaken healing dot com dot com so guys if you're listening to this you have nothing to lose except some pain and some stress. Think about that. The phone number, they can call and leave a message. They can get back with them. We can set up time. Please. So it's area code 602-642-9134. All right. Give me that, that again for the people who didn't have a pen and weren't <laughs> paying attention. <laughs> so, okay, guys, this time get a pen. Write this down. Make get pen. to talk to Steve. Yeah, one more time. 602-642-9134. Thank you, Steve. And like, and like I said, everybody, you got nothing to lose except your stress, your anxiety, and your pain. 
And uh, those are good things to lose. And yeah, for those yeah. of you thinking that, you know, this is some newfangled thing, uh, 5,000 years it's been going on. Yeah, you look at India's three to 5,000 years, China, if you look into the Aztec, the Incas that were even before them, before the Egyptians, they were using similar healing techniques. And for them, that was their medicine. Steve, we're running out of time, so I'm going to have to end it here. But everybody, don't forget to go to awakenhealing.com. Call Steve, take that number. Uh, take advantage of the kind of free consultation. You can talk to him online on Skype or Zoom if you like. Steve, thank you so much for, first of all, enlightening us about Reiki and about the uh, guided imagery and maybe taking some of the stigma off what actually hypnotism actually is not the sideshow stuff but how it can be helpful to all of us thank you for that well thank you very much i uh, have welcomed this opportunity uh, it's been great I enjoyed it maybe we can do it again i, I hope other. we do and also um just as a sign welcome to ais yeah <laughs> all right well folks that's going to be it for today this has been your host will heckman want to thank you all for joining us today and don't forget to please follow this podcast and send in those reviews remember your support helps to keep making these podcasts so if you have a chance go on to stress.org make a donation we are a nonprofit, and uh, we appreciate all your donations your membership is a donation so join up uh, and i want to remind everyone just as stress is different for each of us there is no one stress reduction or management strategy that is right for everyone. So that means you need to join us next time because we're going to explore more stress management strategies and insights. And remember that, like I said, visit stress.org. You'll gather information, tools, techniques to live a healthier and happier and a longer life. And I hope the information that you heard from Steve and myself today will help you find contentment. So long, everybody. Bye. Thank you.